We are in Psalm 48 tonight, and uh, the city of uh, the city of the great God, uh, the city of the King, city of the great King. And uh, as we begin here, uh, just a little bit by way of background here, uh, Psalm 45 through 48 really kind of flow together in in a, in a thematic sort of way. They're all attributed to the sons of Korah. And they all have a messianic theme in view to one degree or another. And so uh, note uh, what I have on the overhead there. Psalm 45, the wedding of the Messiah King, who is Lord God. Psalm 46, God helps the city of God. And we will see how that ties with what we're talking about even here tonight. And in making wars to cease is exalted in the earth. And 47 that we looked at last week, the great king ascends the throne and then finally, uh, where we are tonight, the city of, of the great king. Psalm 48 is a messianic psalm in that it directly references the city of the great king, who, as Scripture shows, is Jesus. I mean, Jesus was worshipped as king of the Jews at his birth and will return in glory at his second coming as king of kings and lord of lords. In Matthew 5.35, with himself in view, essentially, Jesus specifically referenced Psalm 48.2, in emphasizing that Jerusalem is a city of the great king. In Psalm 47, the emphasis is on celebrating the great king over all the earth, uh, who properly takes his throne and reigns over the nations. In Psalm 48, the emphasis is on the city, the city of the great king, which is Jerusalem, which will serve as the king's capital from where he will rule the world. Now, a few years ago, uh, we had the privilege... Uh, Valentes went with us, too, to Israel. We had the privilege to go to Israel. And uh, a highlight uh, on our trip was to visit Jerusalem. In fact, uh, in our tour of Israel, Jerusalem was saved for last, as it was presented as the highlight of the entire trip. Well, in preparation for our trip, I noted various psalms that highlight Jerusalem, which I read and meditated on our time there in Jerusalem. And they included Psalm 2, 48, 84, 122, 125, and 137. Well, tonight we're focused on Psalm 48, which emphasizes how special the city of Jerusalem is, the city of the great king. The earliest mention of the city of Jerusalem is found in Genesis 14. So it begins early in, in the Bible. As I say, it's, it's mentioned uh, 817 times in, in, the, in the Bible. But it's first found in Genesis 14, where it is referred to as Salem. Uh, the term Salem is similar to the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. And so Jerusalem literally means city of peace, but it has known precious little of it in its history. In fact, scholars say it has been raised perhaps more than any other city in the world, certainly right up there. There's something about Jerusalem, however, that is unique. Uh, biblically, it is the special place that God has chosen for himself above all other places on the earth. It is a prescribed place of worship. In Deuteronomy 12, God repeatedly tells his people, you read through Deuteronomy 12, you'll find over and over again, he says that they can only worship in the centralized place of his choosing. Well, prior to the building of the temple, there were several prescribed places of centralized worship. But as time went along, God made it clear that Jerusalem was to be the permanent special place of worship. As I say, Jerusalem is mentioned more than any other city in the Bible, being found more than 800 times. It was King David who captured the city, and from then on it was called the city of David. 
And then it was there that Solomon constructed the temple. Tremendous things are spoken of it. Uh, for example, Psalm 87, 2, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And again, in Psalm 132, For the Lord has chosen Zion. <clears throat> he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now, we know God is omnipresent. He dwells everywhere. But this is a special place to God. We don't have to wonder about how God feels about Jerusalem because he has plainly told us. I mean, it doesn't get much more clear than Psalm 132. This right here gives us spiritual insight into why this city is so hotly contested. Ultimately, there is great spiritual warfare behind the struggle for this city. This is God's special place, and the devil, being the devil, is doing everything he can to contest it. Now, the Temple Mount consists of about 35 acres of land, and it is the most fiercely contested piece of real estate on the planet. Islam, you see, believes in the land of the peace and the land of the sword. The land of peace is that which is already conquered. The land of the sword is that which is yet to be conquered, with the goal of conquering the whole world for Allah, ultimately. Well, once a land is conquered for Allah, in their minds, it forever belongs to Allah. And Muslims are honor-bound to keep it that way. Well, today, they control the Temple Mount. And the Dome of the Rock Shrine is a constant reminder that this land has been conquered for Allah. Well, that's a real sticking point. Uh, the Jews say, no, it's our temple. The Muslims say, oh, no, it's been uh, conquered for Allah. So you got a real stalemate there. And there is no, no answer that anybody really has to that, that tension there. Well, Psalm 48 is a song about Jerusalem. And what makes it special is God's preservation of it and his ultimate presence in it. Psalm 48 commemorates a special event, unspecified, in which God protected the city and dismayed his enemies. It therefore celebrates God's greatness as seen in his care of and preservation of this special place. So even though the psalm highlights the city, it really is magnifying the great God who is behind the city. We can uh, <clears throat> summarize the psalm this way. Psalm 48, the city of the great king, verses 1 through 3. The great God of the great city of the great king. Verses 4 through 7, uh, Jerusalem's enemies are dismayed. 8 through 11, joy over God's saving acts. And 12 through 14, reflecting on God and his preservation. Well, let's get to it. Psalm 48. Uh, we have the superscription there. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Uh, the Messiah slash Zion theme is a favorite of the sons of Korah. Again, we note that 11 psalms are attributed to them. And again, interestingly, their ancestor Korah was in a very privileged position of being a Levite, but he was not happy with just the position that God had ordained for him. He wanted more. Uh, he wanted to be as high as Aaron and Moses and force the issue in the flesh to try to make it happen. Uh, well, at the end of the day, uh, that was great sin, and God caused the earth to open up and swallow him and all that were involved with him in this sin. However, the sons were spared. Evidently, they weren't in on it. And be, 
and, became, and they ultimately became key worship leaders in Israel, as, as noted even here. Verse 1, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. This really uh, is a summary statement. The, the psalm begins with a summary statement emphasizing Yahweh's greatness, and therefore that he is to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Now the holy mountain is Mount Moriah. Uh, which is on the uh, which on the edge of Mount Moriah, uh, the temple was built. Second uh, Chronicles three one. This is where God's presence was uniquely displayed, and for Jews, this was the central place of worship as ordained by God. So, <clears throat> just uh, <clears throat> uh, Mount Moriah. Uh, really, the the temple mount here is on the edge of Mount Moriah here. So. Uh, F, FYI on that. The Jews go back to Abraham, who prepared to sacrifice Isaac on this very mount, as seen in Genesis 22. <clears throat> as I say, the first two temples of Israel were built right on this very spot. <clears throat> and forever in their hearts, uh, this place is sacred, and nothing else will do. This is the holy mount. Now, ultimately, what makes Jerusalem unique and special is that this is the worship center ordained by God for his people Israel. It was uh, the Temple Mount uh, that was central in Jewish experience. I mean, this is the, the very soul of the Jewish people. There God dwelt in a special sense, and they all recognized this. Verse 2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now, whatever direction one comes from, he always goes up to Jerusalem. Uh, there's a whole set of psalms called the Ascent Psalms, which are found in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Now, when we were in Israel visiting an old synagogue where even Jesus may have visited, our guide noted that one always goes up to the place of worship as we had to go up into this place. And this is certainly true of Jerusalem, as I say. The temple located on this mount serves to remind us that God is exalted, and to be in the place of worship is to draw near to the exalted one. Worship is always a going-up experience. A well-known Jewish proverb says, Ten measures of beauty came down to the earth. Jerusalem got nine of them. The rest of the world got one. Ten measures of suffering came down to the earth. Jerusalem got nine of them. <laughs> That's an old Jewish saying. Uh, but they do recognize uh, the specialness of Jerusalem. Its loftiness and secure position are described here as beautiful. Its highness is ultimately seen in, in its significance. Uh, metaphorically, it is the high place. Uh, as the most important city in the world in the eyes of, of the Lord. And it says here, it is the joy of the whole earth. Certainly there is a prophetic ring to this phrase, as in the kingdom it will be heralded by the whole world as, as the key source of joy. Warren Wearsby writes, Spiritually speaking, the city has brought joy to all the earth, because outside its walls Jesus died for the sins of the world. And from Jerusalem first sounded out the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day in the future, Jerusalem will be the center of Christ's glorious kingdom. And indeed it will be. It will be the capital of the world. Well, it is here that Mount Zion is found on the sides of the north, as it says. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Uh, 
Uh, commentators point out that in Canaanite mythology, uh, it held that the gods resided in the north. And so it seems that very possibly, many of the commentators think this, that uh, this is a polemical way of saying that the one true God is the God of Israel, and that this is the place where he actually lives. Uh, so the size of the north is an idiom uh, for the sacred space on Zion's summit on the north side of David's Jerusalem, which happens to be God's most favored spot on planet Earth. The word Zion is kind of a special word to me as I have a grandson named Zion. Uh, the word Zion literally means fortification. Uh, the first mention of Zion in the Bible, as I say, is found in 2 Samuel 5, 7, uh, when David captured the ancient Jebusite fortress, and afterwards it was called the city of David. Uh, Zion is really very closely, almost synonymous with Jerusalem, uh, and is called the city of David as well, as well as the city of God. Zion, in effect, is old Jerusalem uh, in the historical sense of the word, and it signifies the epicenter of God's rule and presence on earth. The word Zion is found 154 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, Zion represented the special dwelling place of God. In the Millennial Kingdom, Mount Zion will represent the special dwelling place of God from where the Messiah will reign. And in eternity, the saints will be forever identified with Mount Zion and the eternal city of the living God, as seen in Hebrews chapter 12. But what makes this city so very special, as I've already mentioned, is God's unique presence there. Uh, note what we have here, the city of our God, verse 1, the city of the great king. Note these are essentially linked together. Uh, the city of God is the city of the great king because they are one and the same. The great king is, in fact, God himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says of this city. God, verse 3, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. Palaces is probably better here translated as citadels or, or, or fortresses. Uh, it is here that the people of God find refuge. It is actually God himself that is the basis for security represented here. And that brings us to verses 4 through 7. Uh, these verses represent an occasion of threat by enemies of Jerusalem. But upon encountering the city, they are quickly made to pass off the scene in terror. Now, some think the victory in view may be when God gave Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20... Uh, a victory, supernaturally. Others believe that this is a tribute to when God supernaturally delivered Jerusalem from the invading Assyrians who were right at the very door of the city. In one night, God supernaturally killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, uh, resulting in the Assyrians promptly leaving and going back home in dismay. Probably that's almost the majority position in terms of what may be the event here. But again, we don't know. Whatever the actual occasion, God obviously supernaturally intervened here, resulting in the preservation and safekeeping of Jerusalem. Verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. For behold, the kings assembled, they passed by together. They saw it. Kind of like a little more commentary. What did they see? They saw it. And so they marveled, they were troubled, and they hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of a woman in birth pangs as when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. 
Whatever all the background here, on this occasion, God caused these would-be attackers to marvel and be troubled and then hasten away. And in the process, they experienced fear, meaning trembling or quaking fear. God suddenly broke them as when he breaks the, the ships of Tarshish with an overwhelming east wind. Tarshish was, back in the Old Testament days, famous for its huge ships. Uh, Tarshish was thought to be in the far west, over, over by Spain. But these great ships that Tarshish was famous for were no match for a powerful storm, as described here as the east wind. They would be broken uh, before these powerful storms. And that's the picture here of these would-be attackers on Jerusalem. They too are broken. Verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. Verse 8 is the key verse in the chapter which captures the essence of the main point being made in this psalm. They had heard about God's power, but now they've seen it. Now they've witnessed it. The Lord of hosts is literally the Lord of armies. Often Lord of hosts is used in a military context uh, with a military victory in view. Uh, with the sense of uh, Lord of hosts being the God of the armies of heaven. Now, the divinity of the king in terms of linkage really comes through pretty strong in this chapter. Uh, Note again, the city of our God, the city of the great king, the city of the Lord of hosts, the city of our God. So real strong emphasis on it's God's city, and yet it's the city of the great king. And I think there's strong linkage there because the king is actually God, as we know, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. Well, God's got a total claim on this city. Uh, It's uniquely his city. And because of this, God will establish it forever. And then he says, Selah. Uh, Meditate on this. Stop and soak this in. If if Psalm 48.8 is true, Jerusalem's not going anywhere. Its preservation and endurance is just as sure as the person of God. But leave it up to the devil to challenge this reality. As the day of the Lord comes to a climax, the devil is going to organize an all-out assault against Jerusalem in which all the nations of the world will be gathered together against Jerusalem. And so it will really be the city of God versus the nations. How do you suppose that's going to turn out? Well, we kind of know how it's going to turn out. Not kind of, we don't. Uh, Zechariah 12 Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. You know, when it comes to Jerusalem, there is no safety in numbers. Uh, I think the world tends to think there is safety in numbers. But here in Zechariah 14... It says, I will gather all the nations. Did you catch that? All the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. So there's going to be some trouble there. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Well, how's this going to end? Well... We could read on in Zechariah, but let me take you to Joel chapter 3. 
Verse 16, 17, the Lord also will roar from Zion. He's roaring. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. Wow, that's going to be a a change. The great king is coming to his city to claim it. And he's going to take over, and he's going to reign supreme. The devil will then be bound for a thousand years. But then he will be released. And again, he will immediately go out to deceive the nations. And those that follow him will be as the sand of the sea. These are people uh, who have been born in the millennial age. And uh, they were never really true believers. And given the chance, they, they follow Satan in his rebellion. And what do they do? They mount one more attack upon the holy city of Jerusalem. That's where they head, right for Jerusalem. Not a good idea. Revelation 20, 9 and 10. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. That is Jerusalem. End of discussion. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. You don't even have a battle here. I mean, it's like, okay, they're they're there. That's it. The devil who deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. End of story. Then comes the final white throne judgment, followed by the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 9. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. You know, this is in the context of, of God, whatever this occasion was, intervening in a dramatic way to save Jerusalem. And he said, we're thinking about this. This caused us to reflect on your loving kindness. The reality that God will preserve Jerusalem forever, as he has just said in verse 8, is worthy of thoughtful contemplation as it reflects on the truth of who this God is. The writer says, we have thought, O God, on your loving kindness. Uh, That word loving kindness is the rich Hebrew word hesed. Uh, You know, this is a really uh, glorious word. It's it's almost undefinable. The King James translators, as they were trying to figure out how to translate it, came up with 14 different ideas. They ended up with loving kindness. But it's often translated as steadfast love or loyal love. It really underscores the idea of God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness. And that's, that's the idea here. Uh, it, it underscores God's unfailing faithfulness. Now, in connection with preserving Jerusalem in God's presence at the temple, they contemplated on how this underscored God's loyal covenant faithfulness. Verse 10, according to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. So their meditation really breaks out in praise to God. God's name here represents his reputation. As his reputation is known throughout the whole earth, so his praise will be to the ends of the earth. And God's right hand of power moves in righteousness, that is, doing what is right. Now, it's almost as if the people are given a victory tour through Jerusalem, uh, to celebrate what God has done in preserving the place. Verse 11, let Mount 
Zion, rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. As inventory is made of Jerusalem, nothing is harmed. All her watchtowers are accounted for. Hey, they didn't knock that one down. No, that one's still standing. Oh, that one, they're all accounted for. As her bulwarks of, of de, uh, or the defense walls, they too are all accounted for. They're all in place. Her palaces, perhaps better citadels or fortresses, they're all still standing. God has brought the city through. It was facing great peril, but it came through totally unharmed. This was clearly a God thing. And as such, this story, he says, needs to be told to the following generation so that they too can appreciate the greatness of our God who takes care of this special city that he calls his own. You know, we need to tell the next generation. Uh, we can't just assume they're going to get it. We have to tell them. And he's emphasizing that you may tell it to the generation following. Verse 14. I was thinking about this as I was thinking about preparing this. I was thinking about my grandkids, and they come over to my house. You know, I got pictures all over my house, and, and, and my pictures have purpose usually. Not always, but usually, uh, like when you walk in my door, uh, Christ is uh, knocking at a door. My dad put this huge puzzle together, and I had him sign his name on it. This about a year before he died. And, uh, uh, but, but that really represents in Revelation, where Christ is knocking at the door, you know, and... Uh, What's interesting to me about that picture is the handle is on the inside. There's no handle on the outside. But I like to talk with my grandchildren about it. So, you know, this is what this picture is significant, what, what it has meaning for, why it has meaning for me. They have no clue. They walk in all the time, every week. They look, and they don't even pay attention to that thing. I need to tell them. I mean, how are they going to get it? Uh, I, have to, I have to tell them. Verse 14, for this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. I love this verse. It is the God who supernaturally preserves Jerusalem. Who is the God of true believers. And as such, he is our God forever and ever. Eternally, he will be our God. Our relationship with him is forever and will never change. Psalm 125 those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. I love this. He will be our guide even to death. But it goes on beyond that because he is our God forever and ever, which means the reality of this relationship goes on beyond death. He will be our guide even to death is more literally over death. In God, the believer ultimately triumphs over death. Even death cannot stop God or get in the way of his preserving care of his own. Indeed, God is our guide even over death. Someone has written, this God is our God from eternity to eternity. He will be our guide unto death, over death, and beyond death. Amen. Well, Psalm 48.2 refers to Jerusalem as the city of the great king. From the divine perspective, Jerusalem is the center of the world, as seen in Ezekiel 5.5. 5. Jerusalem is the apple of God's 
I, Zechariah 2.8. This is the place above all others which God has chosen as his special habitation, Psalm 132. It shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations of the world shall be gathered to it, Jeremiah 3.17. Jerusalem in the kingdom shall be called the city of truth, Zechariah 8.3. So it will be the truth center for the entire world. And it is to this city that the Lord will return and dwell in her midst. Jerusalem is called the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Isaiah 2, 2 and 3. Jerusalem is like a magnet that ultimately will attract all the nations of the world to her. Well, today, Jerusalem is important to three world religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And as I say, the 35-acre mount is the most volatile piece of real estate in the world today. It is called Jerusalem, the city of peace. But one thing that has consistently been missing from Jerusalem for the last 3,000 years is peace. It's almost ironic. What's Jerusalem? Oh, it means city of peace, but no peace. Well, it's with this backdrop that we are specifically told what to do. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I think we are to constantly be praying about this. Isaiah 62, 7 says, And give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Continue to beseech God. Continue to look to him. He's going to answer that prayer in due time. We know so because he's told us so. But we are told to pray about it. And give him no rest until he makes it happen. Well, as the Jews were scattered throughout the world, as they celebrated Passover through the years, as Passover came to a close, they would always say, next year in Jerusalem. Indicating that ultimately God's plan and purpose for Jerusalem will yet be fulfilled. When I visited Jerusalem, I, as I was leaving, I thought, I'll be back. If not next year, certainly when the Lord returns. You see, when Christ comes for his church, you know what the Bible says? And so we will always be with the Lord forever. You see, wherever the Lord goes, we, the bride of Christ, are going. And you know where he's going? You know where he's going? He's going to set up his headquarters in Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. And so shall we always be with the Lord. We're going to be there too with him. Thus, as a believer, Jerusalem figures prominent in your future. Perhaps next year in Jerusalem. But if not next year, certainly in due time in accordance with the Lord's calendar. So, fellow believer, in all your planning, plan on going to Jerusalem. For this is your ultimate destination. It's the ultimate destination for the great king, and you are destined to be with him. Maranatha, our Lord comes. Let's stand and have our closing song.